Welcome to Rationally Writing. I'm Daystar Eld. And I'm Alexander Wales. And this is episode 49, Ideological Turing Tests in Fiction. So, what are ideological Turing Tests? The Turing Test comes from Alan Turing, who originally adapted it from a parlor game. The parlor game was one where you took a man and a woman, and you hid them in a second room or behind a screen or something, and the the other members of the party would ask questions and they would get answers back and they would from you know a cloaked identity so it'd be either a or b and they would have to guess whether uh, which which one was the real man or which one was the real woman depending on how how they were doing it so one person would be there you know just answering normally and the other person would be pretending to be the other gender the parlor game was to to tell whether the panel was basically just people at party Mm -hmm. could figure out Who's the man? Who's the woman? Based on their answers, because you would ask questions that only a man would know or only a woman would know. And so Alan Turing uh, was familiar with that. From, parlor games were big back in the this would have been the 30s or maybe late 20s. And so he, his application for that was for the what we call the Turing test, which is you have a human and a computer who are behind the screen answering questions, and then you do you do basically everything to make sure that there's not some tell that's sort of outside the bounds, right? Mm -hmm. Because like speech synthesis is very difficult for uh, computers to do convincingly, Mm -hmm. right? It's gotten so much better now, but like that speech synthesis shouldn't be part of the test. How long it takes to formulate a response shouldn't necessarily be part of the test. So computer passes the Turing test if they go before this jury or this panel and the panel can't guess better than 50-50, which is which, which is the human and which is the which is the computer. Right. So from the beginning, the Turing test has always just been a test to see if people can tell the difference between the real version of a thing and a fake version of a thing, just through communication. The parlor game was for genders pretending to be each other, Alan Turing's test was for computers pretending to be people, and an ideological Turing test is a general purpose phrase for someone presenting an ideology to see if they can pass as a real believer in that ideology. It's about what model you have in your mind of another person and whether that model can pass for reality to other people. So a liberal might try to pass an ITT of a conservative by writing an opinion on current events from their model of what conservatives think and then showing it to a bunch of people and ideally those people would include conservatives and seeing if the majority believe that a conservative wrote it. And if the liberal can do that, then they've shown that at least on that opinion, they have a more or less accurate model of what conservatives believe and why then a conservative might present a rebuttal to that opinion piece posing as a liberal and see if their rebuttal is praised by liberals, in which case they also probably have a pretty good idea of what the liberals believe and why. And the reason this is important for stories, particularly for rationalist stories, is that all stories have all sorts of different characters in them, not just men and women or people of different political views, but also different professions. And anything that you read about in a story that doesn't match with the reality might jar someone out of their immersion in the story. Yeah, so... Basically, people will be reading your novel or your short story or whatever, and they will be trying to match their model of how people behave to your model of how people behave. And their model might be a lot better than yours because they have, you know, that profession, right? Mm -hmm. Or they just know more than you do. And so your job as the author is to pass as many tests as you can when you're presenting your model, right? That I, I think that you could do a large chunk of writing as modeling and counter modeling as far as like you're, you're trying to present the world 
to the reader. You're trying to present characters and details. And the reader shouldn't be like tripped up or pulled out of their immersion state or you know, ideally they should be learning something too, right? In terms of like what you're presenting, right? They should be learning more about like what it means to be a firefighter or whatever. As far as ideology goes, like you can do things like teach someone what it feels like internally to be a liberal or conservative, right? Mm -hmm. And so the, the ideological Turing test is super important to be able to pass them most of the way, I guess. Um, ideally you pass them all the way and people can't even tell. I don't know. I, I guess not ideally because sometimes you have a point to make and that point is grounded in your own ideology. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes easy to tell that way, but you don't want to have like an antagonist or a character who professes to be some certain ideology then doesn't act like anyone who actually has that ideology would act. Mm -hmm. Um, there is this, I guess my first example is going to be the movie God's Not Dead. <laughs> Kevin Sorbo is like this college professor who hates religion and he like, he doesn't act like an atheist mm -hmm. does, right? In, in a lot of ways, a lot of things that even if you're tenured would get you in a lot of trouble that he does and the ways in which he attacks and tears down his students, a lot of it is not like realistic to any actual person. So, so that fails the ideal ideological Turing test. And maybe that's fine. If your, your target audience doesn't know different or if they don't care, right? Like mm -hmm. making a character of a character can be fine depending on your aims when you're writing. I don't think I ever deliberately do that. So usually when we talk about writing a caricature of a character or like writing a, a character that comes off as a caricature to people who know what to look for, I guess. Because you could you could get away with writing caricatures all day long to, to some subsect of the population. So there's this thing about what people expect other people to sound like uh, or to act like in terms of what whether those people are in certain positions or not. So, like, usually most people have a model of what other people look and sound like from their interactions with them in person and their what they see in media. Um, so when you're reading a book and you have a a politician, for example, who is like in a in a, a fictional world pushing a a you know agenda that may or may not be like analogous to something in real life, whether or not the person comes off as a caricature will often depend on how extreme they come off. Like it's 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 easier for people to be like, okay, this this seems like this author is just trying to like make this person or this position look bad if they come off as too extreme, one way or the other and just have less like dimensions so like a, like caricatures tend to have less dimensions caricatures less tend to be more extreme you know you, you can see many books and stories where the, where the villains in particular are caricatures of certain like ideologies and philosophies and like beliefs and uh, the heroes often are too but because they're the hero they just have more dimensions so like the same red flags don't go up but if you are trying to write a character if the first failure mode you want to avoid is just not to write a caricature it doesn't mean that you're still properly identifying the, the philosophy or, or like you're properly representing the ideology of the person in a way that would pass for the people who actually hold that ideology. Yeah. So when we, when we talk about ideological Turing tests, we're usually thinking of the jury as people who hold that ideology. Yes, exactly. Right. You can write like a, a communist character and you can say like, look, I'm going to write like a character who's a communist and whether they're a hero, whether they're a villain, whether they're like a sidekick or whatever it is, it can just be a character who, professes like to have communist beliefs and 
is not extreme, like in either, you know, like too communist or not communist enough or whatever it is, but just like whether they're, they're a overall positive character or negative character from the story's perspective, a communist reading that story might still say they're not really a communist because they don't actually hold beliefs that I recognize as a communist like belief system. Yeah. Right. Like just saying that the character is a communist and not being like extreme with them is not enough to pass an ideological Turing test. You have to have some sense in which the people for whom those beliefs hold true will read that character and think, ah, this person or this author gets gets where we're coming from. Even if they don't agree, maybe they're one of us. We don't know. But like regardless of whether it's like communists or liberals or conservatives or nihilists or whatever kind of like religious flavor for any kind of position or belief system it could even be something as little as like like a hobbyist you know like a like someone who just like really likes a certain hobby or like profession or something like that would be able to reliably pass as that person in a in a jury of their peers in the literal sense of that of that word yeah and how important this is sort of depends on the story Mm -hmm. it's something i would generally just do for its own sake you you are excluding the people who it doesn't pass for right Mm-hmm. Because they, they're probably not going to enjoy it very much. It's just going to take them out of the story. But then you also have to worry about, like, as far as commentary goes, those people will come and they'll say, hey, this is just totally wrong. You don't know how to write a communist. Mm-hmm. Or you don't, you don't actually understand communism or whatever. And those, if you're, you know, putting communism in bad light, um, those people might come and say that anyway. Because, you know, but it, it's as how uh, well-founded their argument will be, mm-hmm. I guess. So... Yeah, how to pass an ideological Turing test, how to do that reliably. Um, a lot of it will just come down to research, right? Mm-hmm. Like, to know what someone in a certain mindset believes or how they speak, you should just listen to them speak and, and hear what they have to say. That amount of research to, to be able to do that, I think, probably varies. But it, in the modern day, it's it's pretty easy, I would say, to find someone with any belief who wants to talk about it. I did have a... Hermione and Draco romantic Harry Potter fan fiction that mm-hmm. I've been writing. It's been, it's been like stuck at, I don't know, like 60% complete or whatever. But when I was doing that, I went to some white nationalist forums mm-hmm. to like listen to both the vernacular that they use and like what they actually talk about right. when they're within their own sort of space devoted to that. Right. Because obviously a white nationalist will sound different if they're like at church. Yeah. Every every in-group has its own like inner language, its own jokes, shorthand, memes, anything that will identify them as someone who's comfortably within that same space or holds that same ideology. And like that's kind of a major part of what we would consider a genuine slash realistic character is just one that has that and any in any kind of like situation. Yeah. And I, I will say that it, it's very it's much more difficult to write two characters who share an ideology talking about that ideology than it is for people who are on two different sides. Mm-hmm. At least that's that's my experience. Because you not only have to know, like, what do they believe, but, like, what do they talk about if it's not just one person, like, nodding along as the yeah. other person talks. Yeah, like, what goes without saying, and then what does the actual meat of their discussion, like, revolve around? Yeah, and you can get some of that too uh, when you go mm-hmm. just out looking for it. It's also harder to do made-up ideologies. I mean, I, I write a lot of fantasy. It's my preferred genre. Mm-hmm. And 
the the made up ideologies are always going to be part of that because they're people who just are facing issues that don't exist in the real world. Same for sci-fi, really. And so I have uh, I've been working on this sort of battle school type thing, and the 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 philosophical keystone is this motto of power prevails as sort of a justification for the reason that there's society is the way that, that it is. And so a lot of ideologies have to spring from that sort of as reactionary to it and sort of splinter factions within it. And those have to be fleshed out and characters have to talk with each other about the ideas that come from it. And it can't rest so much on real world ideologies. Right. There's no one to go to peer over their shoulder at what they're you know, talking about. And, and writing about. So I will say, if you're trying to pass for an ideology, or if you're have, trying to have a character do it, things that you need to think about, you need to think about beliefs, like what, what they believe to be true about the world, uh, that someone of a different ideology may not believe to be true. So like pro-life, pro-choice, you would probably go right to when does life begin, right? Mm-hmm. That's the major question of of truth in the world, or the question of belief. Right. And if you are pro-life and you are modeling someone who's pro-choice as believing the same thing as you do, but being like really callous about it, mm-hmm. like I don't think that it, it is probably true for some. We'll, we'll get into weak man and straw man later, but right. I, I don't think that that is the proper way to model someone who's pro-choice as someone who you should not model someone who's pro-choice as someone who believes that life begins at conception and then also believes that other things are a lot more important than that. Right. Yes. Or, the, or the, someone who believes that an embryo is a full person and then they just just don't care about full people. That is a very easy way to fail that ideological Turing test. Mm-hmm. After that is uh, knowledge base. What do people um, know? What do they what have they read? What What's their canon like? That's, I think, more important for for ideologies where there is, I mean, first off, an established canon and a second that it gets referred to. A lot like I think that you can model a Christian who is not very familiar with the Bible, mm-hmm. right? Or, or whose exposure to the Bible is not necessarily from reading it. It's from Sunday school stories and then what sermons get told in church. But it's not like intensive study of the Bible, right? right? The same for a communist who hasn't read the Communist Manifesto mm-hmm. or I don't know. It, it sort of varies depending on what the character is like and and what their position is, like in general. And what their position is and, and how, you know, well read they are and how important, like, the knowledge base is and, and where the knowledge comes from. Because a lot of, a lot of modern ideologies, people don't, people who aren't necessarily ideologues or even some people who are, they, a lot of it is just this sort of shared social media culture mm-hmm. that's not necessarily about reading all the same authors, but it's sort of like, you're referencing memes, basically, but not in the like image macro right. sense. It's it's like stuff that everyone knows because it was like big news story two years ago, and you always call back to that because that's what's important within your culture. Mm-hmm. The New York Times put someone on their board. I might be slightly off in the details here, but she was Asian and she had said some things about white people, and that became part of the shared cultural canon of the alt-right mm-hmm. and they will mention that 
just all the time as part of the like their foundational part of the worldview. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's part of the knowledge base that you need to be, I guess, aware of if you're trying to write someone like that. Or it's one of the things that will at least sell it. Yeah, the idea not just of, like, there are certain positions, but there are certain cultural moments that bind them together. Yeah, the things that they will bring up as points in favor of their ideology. Right. Um, like, Tiananmen Square has been very popular on Reddit lately mm -hmm. because Reddit got, like, $150 million investment from a Chinese company that does a lot of censorship mm -hmm. and stuff. And that is be an important thing to know about and know that people know about. Mm -hmm as part of a conversation about Chinese diplomatic authority or soft power or whatever, because that's exactly one of the things that would get brought up and get brought up more than like the great leap forward or whatever. Yeah. Right? And more importantly is also like the idea of what within, within what context is the person's communism coming up, right? Like if it's in a debate, like it, it might be a very different focus of what, what it is that's coming up versus like a history lesson. Or like a, not a history lesson exactly like a like a discussion of history I should say, yeah. Person who is like able to show not just like what this character would act like or look like or or speak like in one context is if you can pass it in one context it's hard enough being able to pass it in like all the different contexts is, it requires like more and more research to the point where you you know you're probably in some way immersed in in. You, you've, you've spent some time immersed in the culture or, or perspective uh, for quite a while. And I, I think it is worth noting again, like, it's not necessary to do that for every character in every circumstance. Uh, like, it's kind of like an ideal. Like, you know, if you, if you can, I think it's probably best to be able to, regardless of whether you choose to or not. Um, so that's kind of like the, like, if you're doing it, if you're, if you're avoiding a strongman of, of something, you know, you're doing it for a reason. Uh, you're not doing it accidentally, but it would be very hard to do that for every single like ideology that comes up in every single circumstance. Yeah. So yeah, I, I guess the, to distill that point down, if you are trying to model a person who is a Star Wars fan, I think you are not necessarily always well served by like watching all the Star Wars movies, right? right? Because like you probably would not get from the Star Wars movies themselves that Boba Fett was like a huge deal, mm -hmm. right? Cause he has very little screen time and doesn't do all that much in like the original trilogy. Right. Right. And, and yet has achieved a kind of like meme status. People love Boba Fett, yeah. but that's not necessarily going to be clear from watching the movies. Right. And especially if you are going into this. So if someone is like, uh, let's say someone is born sometime in the past 10 years, and then 10 years from now, they're going to be, like, writing about Star Wars. A fan of Star Wars, like, is, shows up in one of their stories that they're writing. Like, that character is probably going to look very different from a fan of Star Wars, like, in, you know, the Harry Dresden. Yeah. Because, like, the, the, the Star Wars canon itself has changed in the intervening, like, 20 years. And so, like, now we're adding not just, like, you have to, there's a certain ideology and perspective that have different aspects of it shown in different contexts, but now also in different time frames. If time frames wasn't implicit in context, it should be now. Like, you know, as like two separate things, it's like a communist in the United States, uh, I keep using communist, I'll use a different example. A libertarian in the United States in the 21st century is going to sound very different from a libertarian in, let's just say like the United Kingdom 50 years ago. You know, like yeah. it's it's just there's a very there's a very separate set of 
contextual clues and historical moments and cultural memes that are, are circulating through each culture, subculture, philosophy that will change over time. I think to some extent you can skate by on just understanding people, mm-hmm. right? Because if you if you come up with a random ideology, you can one one that doesn't exist in the real world or is not you know one of our our current ones that we would identify with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you can still think about how people respond to things in different ways and and what they would talk about. It's it's harder to do that for what I'll call knowledge base, right? Mm-hmm. Because if, if you're writing about a libertarian you can't just invent their knowledge base out of thin air um there are thinkers that they are influenced by you know prominent speakers there are uh, there's a culture if they're part of that culture and they're not just you know they haven't just discovered it for themselves which does happen mm-hmm. for a lot of ideologies but yeah i i think to go back to star wars the what star wars is culturally is a lot is not all defined by the movies yeah. right if if that's what we consider the text the text isn't that important. I mean, it is it is important, but it the the meta text is a lot more important as far as what will sell a Star Wars fan, basically, right? Right. And and what Star Wars fans have as an understanding of what it means to be as part of that culture. And, and it's the same for for ideologies, like what what people with that ideology understand as being um, important, and as being yeah, as being important to that ideology. So it's basically what I'll call like the issues part. Of mm-hmm. like beyond the, the just the knowledge base, like what what do people of this ideology know? Where do they take their thinking from? And like what what do they talk about? The issues are sort of like what speaks to them as important, right? So conservatives and liberals have uh, different things that they think are important to them, and will very often talk at cross purposes because like they'll both see the same trade off and think different things about it. Yeah. Right. Not just a different or, set of values, but also a different set of goals in terms of what what they conceive of as the preferable outcome for something. Yeah. The the bathroom thing. Uh, yeah. Like, that that is a lot about. For those that don't know, I mean, I'm guessing what you meant by the bathroom thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So so the bathroom thing is basically this question of should transgendered be people be allowed in the bathroom that corresponds to their. Um, the gender they identify as. The, the, gen, the gender they identify with. And it's super dumb to me for a lot of reasons. But the, the debate sort of boils down to, like, how much right, rights should we give to transgender individuals? And how much do we want to protect people from potential predators, I guess? So this is, yeah, so this is where now you are having to put up your ideological Turing test form, I guess. Like, you're, you're, you're having to embody the perspective of someone who you disagree with, I'm presuming, somewhat strongly. Well, okay. There, there, are, a lot of, there are a lot of reasons for my disagreement, mm-hmm. though. My assumption is that if you don't want transgendered individuals to... Like, you, you don't believe that a trans woman is actually a woman, mm-hmm. right? You believe that she is a man. And you don't want men going in the woman's bathroom mm-hmm. because... It's perversion. It, because it's perversion, right? That is, I believe, the mindset that they're going into it with. And sometimes not even necessarily saying that it is perversion, but that it opens the door for bad actors. Mm-hmm. Or that it is um, part of this cultural attempt at normalization that you disagree with. Right. Right? As a actual conservative value, rather than just, I don't know, whatever. I think that that is 
how I would frame it if I had to from the perspective of someone who believed that. Right. But so when you're looking at like the issues part of it, from that mindset, the issue is much more about protecting innocence and purity and than, than it is about mental health for transgendered individuals or mm-hmm. whatever. So as part of passing the ideological Turing test, you need to think about what issue is like what the issues are and what issues are most important, right? Cause you can be a conservative and, you know, believe in liberty, but then think that the overriding value of liberty is safety. Yeah. The value trade-off is in my view, kind of what essentially defines different philosophies. Like there are very few philosophical perspectives or political perspectives that like put zero value to like individual freedom or zero value to, you know, like communal safety. It's just all a matter of shuffling them around. And there are some values that are unique to certain philosophies and, and uh, political ideologies, but the kind of what I would call like core expected values just kind of get shuffled around diff- differently from one from one to another. And this would be, you know, the kind of big one word name uh, values like truth, health, community, traditions are kind of a harder one. But like that's you will find many liberals who are happy with certain traditions they're just they just don't consider it like high enough on the value list where it would really come up in any kind of real like uh, situation yeah so here here's my fourth part of this rubric is the framing right because i think like it's not all about value trade-off mm-hmm. and if you if you are trying to pass the ideolo- ideological turing test as a difference in value trade-off you might miss the two people are just categorizing things differently or they're, they're operating within different frameworks from each other. And those frameworks are, are sort of butting heads. And it's not that they, it's not that they disagree with the facts at stake, which would be beliefs. Mm-hmm. And it's not that they disagree with the knowledge base because they might've read all the same stuff. It's just the, the frameworks that they apply to any given situation might be different from each other and sort of incompatible. The framework for capitalist will often be about resource allocation and how the market is better and efficiently allocating resources, mm-hmm. right? As far as, you know, productivity and things like that. Whereas for communist, it's more about labor than it is about, or it's more about labor and capital and systems of power than it is about resource allocation, right? right? Mm-hmm. And in terms of whether or not a communists will agree with any given policy it's usually going to be less about a examination of the efficiency of that policy and more about how whether it gives power to the working class and the laborers opposed to the elite classes of society you've had a conflict theory versus a mistake theory yeah so there are these two theories called mistake theory and conflict theory which are basically different opposing lenses through which to view human behavior mistake theory can be basically summed up by that quote never attribute to malice what can be explained by incompetence and the basic idea is that someone who ascribes mostly to mistake theory would say that when someone appears to do something bad or wrong, they probably aren't evil, they're just not educated enough or unaware of how they're trapped by certain kinds of incentives around them, and so on. Basically, the reason societal conflicts occur is that there are disagreements about what's true, and if you just somehow could get everyone to agree on the facts and understand what's going on around them, disagreements, most disagreements would just be resolved. On the other hand, conflict theorists would say that those with power are just trying to maintain it. Most people who seem to be doing something evil or wrong are actually just doing it because they're self-serving or prejudiced and would not change their minds or behavior if you somehow prove to them how what they're doing was hurting other people or was based on things that are factually wrong. So a basic way to look at this is like climate change. Politicians who reject the science of climate change might 
be said by a mistake theorist to just be, you know, confused about the science and not really understand the relevant information and all that kind of stuff. Whereas a conflict theorist would say, no, they just don't care. They're they're doing it because they benefit from rejecting climate change. Either they know what they're saying is false and they know that, that the outcomes wouldn't affect them anyway, so they don't care. Or they, even if they don't know that they're still motivated primarily by a self-interest that makes it so that they don't care whether they're right or not and they don't look into it right and so the reason this is a useful lens is that it tends to show fundamental disagreements between characters without necessarily needing them to have different philosophies so the climate change example showed how like two different people could look at someone who's doing a certain kind of behavior but it's also useful to think about like how those people would coordinate if they were trying to solve the issue of climate change right so like you have some people who would be going out there trying to like educate politicians and, and make sure they understand, um, hey, this is what's actually going on. And then you'd have other people who were like essentially saying, no, like these people don't care because of corruption or greed, and you just need to get rid of them and vote them out of office or whatever it is to uh, solve the issue. And if you're trying to pass an ideological Turing test for how people view certain problems in society or difficulties that they have with other people on either their same side or, or how they view their opponents or something like that, using different lenses like this is a good way to explore what the perspective thinks of other other people and how there are certain perspectives that are really like entrenched in certain lenses. So communists tend to be mostly conflict theorists. A large large part of the, the ideology of, of communism is that the people in power are essentially oppressing those without power and that the only way for this injustice to be righted is for the people without power to get more power essentially and this is like a this is like a way that you can you can kind of like look at the divide between minorities rights versus status quo capitalism versus communism and like whether or not a character is one who is like optimistic versus cynical for example because conflict theory tends to be seen as a very cynical perspective whereas a optimist you know like i'm not going to say that all optimists are, are mistake theorists um, but optimists will tend to be like let's not assume that someone is evil when they might just be mistaken or like let's give them a chance like the benefit of the doubt and that kind of thing and it's just much more of like an individual this is also individualistic versus systemic like it's just a very like wide-ranging um frame through which to look at behaviors and problems and, and values yeah i will say frameworks are are very interesting because if someone of a certain ideology will be using certain frameworks to approach a conversation or a problem, mm -hmm. right? And if you are trying to pass the ideological Turing test, but your character that you've created is using the wrong framework, that's a, a real big tell that you're, that you don't have the, the ideology right, mm -hmm. right? And people, sometimes people are aware of this framework mismatch. And they will dip into a different framework to try to argue from that perspective, right? Like, so communist and capitalist for a capitalist, it'll usually be about efficient allocation of resources, or it will be about people getting what they deserve based on proper value for their labor, right? That framework is pretty common for people who are proponents of capitalism. Most people aren't hard one side or the other. Mm-hmm. Freedom is another big one. A capitalist, yeah. like, a capitalist will usually say that freedom is is the the major like value of a capitalistic system as opposed to soft or hard uh, control that the communist governments would have. 
Yeah. Um, so if you if you find your communist arguing basically that communism gives a more efficient allocation of resources, that's just not the the framework that a communist will often approach things from, right? Well, well, okay. Sometimes, sometimes they will. More often, they will argue that it's about who holds power and who holds power through capital and what is fair in terms of of labor. But they, they might say, oh, you know, communism just allocates resources better because it is, to to some extent, an argument over allocation of resources. But that's not really the important part. Yeah, it's not that they would concede that communism is not as efficient at allocating resources. I mean, they might, like it depends on the communist, but it's just that it's not the important point for them. Yeah. And so if you start out from, from them sort of arguing within the same framework as a capitalist, people will do that often, but that's not what they'll naturally tend to, right? They'll, they'll have a certain model of the world and a framework that they use to approach the world. And you need to understand those frameworks in order to pass the, the, the ideological Turing test. And especially one, one of the things that you can do is if you understand the framework that they have that they use to approach the world and you know the places where they conflict, you can have them not understand the framework the other person is using. Yes. And try to like recast everything into their frame that they're using. Yeah. Missing. So this is this is kind of where the value of not actually presenting a straw man can come in because a ultimate steel man of someone of some position not only is like maybe someone who like fully knows the ins and outs of their own position and like is fully like educated and like rational and all this different things, uh, but might also like be able to fully model then everyone else's like positions and, and perspectives and like argue with them efficiently and effectively. Whereas in reality, like someone might be really, really well versed in, in like economics and capitalism and, you know, free trade and all these different things. And like, you'd be able to present a, a good, ITT of a capitalistic perspective, regardless of whether or not you are like 50%, 70%, 0% capitalist, whatever. But then that character would probably still make mistakes when engaging with other perspectives that disagree with them in terms of refer- referencing what those other beliefs believe and like what they think is important and what they what they should care about opposed to what they do care about. And so it's kind of like a, a nesting doll of beliefs and presented arguments mistake theory tends to be seen as like this more rational perspective and conflict theory is like no usually people who do bad things do them because it benefits them and there's a really interesting argument about naivete that can kind of be applied to both but the main conflict that tends to come about from this is this idea of like when you see someone do something wrong what you should what the approach should be to to correct it but the interesting thing usually tends to be like how they approach problem solving for or like how they approach problems that they see in the world and whether or not like a like a debate around a racist politician can be seen through both lenses and treated like one of the, one person will treat it as a inherent systemic issue that cannot be solved through just like education and, and talking about things and the other side will treat it as something that's like just a matter of ignorance and upbringing and, and this kind of thing and because you can't like usually peer into someone's mind and, and few people are racist in a open, like blatant way, not few of them are, but like very often you will find debates about someone's racism without them being blatantly racist or not. And in those situations, like what, where the tipping point is, where, where someone on one side is willing to concede or not is usually like a good indication of what their, their framework is in terms of whether or not they fall under more like mistake theory or conflict theory. And I think this is an 
important meta framework to keep in mind because not not just because like it reaches through so many different philosophies and like political uh, perspectives and things like that, but also because it's inherently to do with conflict. And when we're writing characters who are trying to address conflicts or problems in the world, what their approach is and how it might differ from the protagonist or or if they're a protagonist, how it might like come alongside the the main protagonists uh, is really kind of an important feature of of passing their ITT. And like a, a weird maybe example of this is um, Naruto and Sasuke from uh, Naruto. There's this major theme difference between them where Sasuke is out for revenge and Naruto is very forgiving uh, to the point where he's like constantly trying to forgive all his all his antagonists and, and give them a chance to be good and all these different things. And Sasuke is very much this like dark and broody figure who who like lost his whole family and is like his perspective is very much that those who have not lost as much as he has lost cannot possibly understand like what he's going through. Um, their approach to conflict is like embedded from their philosophy and, and their and their and their background, but the idea of like whether or not someone's mistakes are inherent to like them just being you know, ignorant of the other person's position or if they are trying to just like maintain the status quo or like look after their own interests, like you can build not just the the character off of that, off of understanding that like to make it more realistic, but you can also then approach like what is a realistic way they're going to try to approach a conflict in the story. Yeah. So we have what, what I'll call four factors of how to pass uh, beliefs, knowledge base, the issues and how things are framed. Mm hmm. Um, those are, I guess I would say the four things that you're going to go for if you want a checklist. A lot of it's just based on, based on feel and based on your understanding of how people work. Not just your understanding of how people work, but your understanding of how other people understand how people work. Yes. Yeah. And, and many meta levels down. All those together are pretty good. A pretty good baseline for writing characters of a different ideology. Obviously writing a character of your own ideology is probably a lot easier because you should know it. I mean, I've seen people fail at that too, but a lot of the problem also comes from, so there's this idea of, of one's confidence in what they know and, and how they view the world. Like usually people who write, let's just say political thrillers. I've read, I've read a number of political thrillers where it's very obvious that the writer is of a certain political persuasion, not just because of what the protagonist believes, which might actually be fairly neutral. Like, they do a good job of making the protagonist, you know, share their values and, and interests, but they don't come off as a blatant, you know, conservative or liberal. But the villains and antagonists and side characters are just so clearly not passing the ITT. Yeah. That the main character, even if they can do a good job of, of writing the main character's perspectives and their own beliefs, they have trouble parsing the world or other characters through the lens of, of their, own, their own perspectives. Do you have any characters that you, you struggle with with this? Um... One of the comments on Dark Wizard of Dunkirk was that Sophia, she didn't have a firm enough belief system, I guess, mm -hmm. which was more about like following rules and right and wrong, um, which I kind of agree with. Mm -hmm. I think that's the most that it's been commented on. I don't know. For the most part, I think I do okay. That mm -hmm. I don't, I, it sometimes takes me a while to find a character to sort of like find an approach that I agree with. One of the things I, think is true about writing is that it's very easy to write characters who are like what would i think if i were a libertarian mm -hmm. right it would be easy to write a character who's libertarian like i would be a libertarian if i were right right 
which I was maybe delving into politics too much, but I would call myself a left libertarian, mm-hmm. which is I, I used to be on the libertarian subreddit a lot. And I just argued with people constantly about mm-hmm. the role of the state and stuff like that. But so it would be very easy for me to write a libertarian like I would be a libertarian. It would be difficult for me to write a libertarian who's not one like I would be one. It's it's easy for me to write characters who have different ideologies, but they're the, like my brand of that ideology. Yeah. This is kind of goes back to the idea of you can never really get every single person of a certain ideology or perspective to agree with like what a what their positions and beliefs and values are because obviously almost every single philosophy and political ideology and perspective is like it's not monolithic you know you you've got many 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 different sub factions of libertarian and communist and christian and and jew and like all these different like ideas of like what a true quote unquote x would look like or sound like or or believe yeah, but that's what the idea of like you would you you would want enough muster to be passed that the majority of them would still recognize that like regardless of whether this is someone that they agree fully with, they would identify this person as a X. Yeah, and well, especially in like American politics, we have like two enormous political parties, mm-hmm. and people use those labels a lot. It's like conservative means so many different things to different people, and you can't really mix and match. If, if you're having one character, you can't really just mix and match all conservative beliefs into them because that's not going to be a coherent character and it's not going to resemble a real person. It might resemble some real people. Well, but... <laughs> I mean, I mean, the, the problem is that, especially in America, our, our political parties are coalitions, yeah, right? Yeah. They're coalitions of people who have different beliefs. And there are some people who will, you know, just fall in line with what their party believes. Now, I think you could do that. I think it's less easy to do that with more ideological grounding because mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of it is just marriages of convenience and i think you see you see that on on both sides um that they are big coalitions because they basically have to be the way your political system is set up but so i think where i struggle most is when i'm trying to do a character who is not the way that i would be right because mm-hmm. it, it, it would be easy for me to write a conservative version of myself I don't consider myself conservative, but if I were, like, here are all the things that appeal to me personally about this wide political label, right? right? I would pull out the things that I, the values that resonate most with me. It's much more difficult for me to write someone who is of a different ideology and then is attracted to a totally different part of it than I am. Mm -hmm. And I do try that sometimes because I, it's one of the things I think that I think is hard about being a writer is trying to make people sound different and how to have them like have different understandings of the world. And if they're all coming to their disparate ideologies from sort of the same mindset and the same framework, it's just, it's like it's alternate universe versions of the same character, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. rather than being separate distinct characters. And yeah, worth, worth a candle has a little bit too big of a cast right now. And one of the things that's hard about that is is having them all sound different and having them all have different ideologies that are reflected in what they say and how they think and that aren't also just extensions of my own understanding of how I feel about those issues. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know how clear that is, but that's that's sort of that's sort of how I feel about it is it's very it would be very easy for me to think like if I were of this position, how how would that be for me rather than. How is it actually for people who come at it from different directions? Got it. Yeah. For me, 
Leaf is the character that I feel like the most, I'm always the most aware that I am trying to present a a position that I want to pass the ITT for. Maybe that's like outing myself a little in terms of my, my own belief system. But for, yeah, Leaf is the one I most worry about in terms of whether or not this character will be identifiable by people who would most agree with her. And this is somewhat warped and hard because Pokemon aren't real. But there's the closest approximation would be vegans in our world. Not just like the difference in, in you know, how dangerous, you know, animals are in our world compared to in the Pokemon world, but also in, in like the applications of, of using animals and having like an awareness of the suffering of non-human beings and like the, the importance you put on, on suffering of non-human beings or non-sapient beings, I guess I should say. And... It's one of those things also where, like, like kind of like you said, like, I'm aware of, like, what I would believe if I identified as the position. And it's hard to make sure that I'm always also, like, going beyond that a little bit and not just stopping at where, like, not just cherry picking out what I, what, like, what I agree with and then presenting those. But also, like, making sure I'm, I'm fully representing parts of it that I might not agree with for whatever reasons. And because the characters are constantly like arguing with each other and like making their points and things like this like it doesn't it's not just like an academic thing to me where i'm just like oh, i just want to make sure this character is like fully representing their perspective like it's also really important that like i don't present the character as a weak version of himself not just because i think it would be insulting to people who who believe those things but also because like it's important to the growth of the character and their uh their character arc and then the main character and their character arc and then like the plot of the story is going to like somewhat depend on on how things resolve and like whether or not I sell this resolution and like the, the shifts in perspective that the characters undergo and all these different things. So there are times when passing the ITT is, I think, really, really important to the plot. And there are other times when it's basically just like a bonus. Like there, there are plenty of stories that you don't need to, to do it. Like no one, no one cares. Well, not no one cares. Like many people like would probably enjoy it more, particularly our audience. But, um, n- not many people watching Star Wars really need the ITT of the, of the Empire, uh, to be, fleshed out you know like there are uh, firefly is actually another good example of this like firefly the main character is someone who like start starts the story having lost the war against this um confederacy of planets we like we kind of like we sympathize with him because he is the protagonist and like a likable character and just very savvy and, and dashing and cool but we never really get the perspective of like the other side and like why we might necessarily like agree or disagree with it's like not a political show it doesn't really matter and so like it is i think it is always a bonus to have characters who can pass the itt of someone who would agree with the confederacy in firefly or i guess even the empire in star wars but most people don't care that much about that like it really depends on on how important it is in the story yeah oh uh yes presentations of ideology right uh-huh. so a strong man is when you take a position and you, you put forward the strongest version of it that you can, mm-hmm. right? A uh, weak man is when you take a position and you put forward the weakest version that you can. Uh, and then straw man is where you take f- a position that doesn't actually exist in the real world. Or I, it, it's, it's hard to say that. There, okay. So there's cherry picking is when you, you take a isolated bit of data from a larger data set of some kind and you just pull it out and use that as your example mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily reflective of the whole data set right mm-hmm. uh, nut picking is when you take a single 
person from a large crowd and use them as your example, <laughs> right? That's mm-hmm. um, very common if you are uh, trying to discredit an ideology. You just take the you know the worst person that professes some insane beliefs, and you know maybe they have mental problems. Mm-hmm. Um, not hard oh, to find people. I get it. Nut picking. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's not hard to find. Uh, Nuts. Nuts. Yeah. yeah. Uh, especially on the internet, mm-hmm. right? Where anyone can start a blog and yep. put up posts every day. Eventually you'll get an audience of some kind. Or even if you don't, you can be searched for and found by people who just want to make, they want to find the worst possible example of your, of your ideology. Right. Yeah. And so that can kind of replace a straw man if you can find like the worst person. Yeah. Right. Not, not just a weak ideological position, but one that just doesn't make any sense because the person professing it has problems or they just don't care or, or it's just the most morally uh, indefensible position, like version of that argument or, or that. Extra, right. Like you can, yeah. you can find a lot of, a lot of this uh, happens with like, um, you can, you can see the anger that comes within certain subcultures at the position that someone might take on, you know, gun rights or abortion or the different views that they, you know, disagree with on like immigration for, or against like the different positions on thing. And then you just, Find someone who honestly believes, for example, that like all guns should be just like rounded up and destroyed, or all that all all immigrants should just be like mass deported or something like that. Yeah, and like you can find you can find those people. It's not to say that they don't exist or there aren't like a following of people who would agree with those things. But I think it's important if you want to pump against nut picking, whether in story or in real life. My my suggestion is something like look for the people in power. Look at look at the position people in positions of power. It really matters in my in my view anyway. It really matters whether or not the position is held by those with power in in the uh, in the society. It's very different if like you can because you can find nuts for for any position like you were saying. Yeah. How alarming those nuts should be in my view, has more to do with who has who has who has power in, in the society and than it does like how many followers are on the blog. Yeah. So when when you're writing when you're writing characters, do you write strongmen or do you write realistic level? Because the strongman is not always, you know, what, yeah. what the people in power are professing. It's just what you think is the most morally defensible or the most ideologically sound firm position. Yeah, this this kind of goes for me. This kind of goes to the question of um, antagonists again. Like, is it is it better to have an antagonist who's just like a puppy kicking villain, or is it better to have like a nuanced, three dimensional, like sympathetic villain? And the answer usually is that it depends, you know, on on what you're going for with the story. The lot of stories have both. Like, well, you'll have like one one of both or, or like different factions, and one one faction will be one, one faction will be the other, or something like that. I tend to find myself pushing for strongmen uh realistic characters it's not that they don't interest me as much it's just that they tend to be somewhat like less dynamic it's like i've already because i'm kind of uh, i'm a pantser in terms of like writing by the seat of my pants kind of uh, author and so when a character shows up that i have already pre-planned it's usually that they have there's like something i find interesting about them that i want to like explore with the story or the other characters. But I have to still make up a lot of characters along the way. Like, I know, like, vaguely that there's some other... In my story, every gym has, like, a second and a third, uh, as well as a leader. And, like, I don't have them all mapped out. Like, I'll, I'll usually when I get to the gym, like, I start thinking about what would be interesting characters to have, um, like, alongside this this leader or, like, to, as part of this gym's, like, uh, philosophy or something. And not all of them are very interesting characters. Some of them are very one-note. And some of them are just there to represent a simplified version of a philosophy or a, you know, a realistic version of a, of a philosophy because a lot of the 
major characters in fiction are, are often larger than life people. You know, you'll, you'll, you'll find characters in fiction that are very determined and have very lofty dreams and have done like a lot in, with their lives to like pursue their goals and their philosophy. They're just people who like try to push at reality and not everyone who agrees with their perspectives are going to be like that. Either they're not going to be that extreme or they're not going to apply it as thoroughly throughout their life or whatever it is. Uh, and so I think that's the value of having the realistic character sometimes too, is to show that like, you know, there are, for lack of a better word, kind of like the rank and file of any given position yeah. are usually going to want to be the the realistic characters. Whereas the strongman ones, I find it more interesting to have them be the major characters or the, the those, those again, in positions of power would tend to be the, the strongman versions. Yeah. I think it's, it's difficult to toe the line for me between, uh, people who are like weak on a position, mm -hmm. like, cause you know, sometimes people are hypocrites and especially if it's an ideology that I disagree with, mm -hmm. I will, it's, it's hard for me to include that hypocrisy because I don't want to just be like, well, you know, this is an inherently a hypocritical, hypocritical position. Or I don't want to give the impression oh, that yeah. I believe that even if it's true to how a lot of people are. Yeah. Right. If, if you include someone who is of a particular ideology and they're not like an exemplar of it, it's sort of like you're, you're just putting forward too weak of an argument, I guess. Yeah. Like a not, and, and it's realistic to how people actually are. You know, not everyone is the exemplar of their, of their ideology, mm. obviously, but I, I think it can annoy people. Like it, it just annoys people when characters make in character mistakes, right? I get a lot of typo corrections on things like that. It's like, well, why can't someone just say something that is wrong? Cause they're, you know, they're, they're speaking off the cuff mm -hmm. without access to research. It's like, that's a mistake that someone could make. It's an in-character mistake. Yep. But if it's not noted in the text as being an in-character mistake, then people will just assume that you're, you're doing it wrong. Yes. Yeah. And this, um, this is also just extends the idea of what the point of fiction is in many respects. This is like a, this is a, another dialogue isn't realistic, um, trope. The perp, like, in my view, like, what are you writing the fiction for is a question that you, kind of kind of should influence whether or not you are using strong men or, or weak men or realistic characters or whatever because yeah you can have fully realistic hypocritical people in like you know all the positions of, of major characters spots and all that kind of stuff and it might be very useful to do so if you're writing especially if you're writing a a non-fiction uh, story obviously but also if you're writing a, a non-speculative fiction story but if you are trying to say something with your story, or you're trying to say something with your with a character arc or a plot arc or some examination of of a societal like defect or problem or coordination failure or whatever it is, knowing the answer to that, like what are you trying to write this for? What are you trying to accomplish with this? Is usually going to be very important to decide if you want a weak or strong man and or a realistic character. Uh, and you know, a lot of people just write to entertain, and that's usually it's usually entertaining enough just to have. Not real much effort or thought put into like which one you use for which situation, but I think usually our genre is seen as one that's trying to educate or explain or provoke thought, and that requires usually to have characters that are beyond the rank and file, uh, or it requires some some novel take on the realistic character, like not just a real not just a character who is realistic. And flawed, but also a character who is flawed and still 
important or meaningful in some way and, and sympathetic in some way or something like that. Yeah. All right. That's pretty much all I've got. Yep. That's all I've got, too. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time.